It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. One quick note. When we recorded this interview, the show we are discussing was called Murders at the Burger Shop. It has since been renamed and is now known as Murders at the Burger Joint. Sorry for any confusion. The Burger Chef murders haunt us. This is the case we have spent more time on than any other. On a November night in 1978, Ruth Shelton, Danny Davis, Mark Flemons, and Jane Freet, all employees of the Speedway Indiana Burger Chef, were kidnapped from the restaurant and driven to a rural, wooded area miles away. There, the four victims were killed in three different ways. No one has ever faced charges related to those murders. All these years later, the family and friends of the four still search for answers. 
This case is about to be featured on national television for what we believe is the first time ever. Earlier this year, Anya and I got the chance to work with a talented team that was producing Murders at the Burger Shop, a film about this story for investigation discovery. It will premiere at 10 p.m. Eastern on Labor Day on the ID channel. We have not seen the film, but we were tremendously impressed with the people who put it together. The team was led by director Jeremy Pine Berlin. We decided to talk with him to get a preview of the film. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. We have spent more time working on the Burger Chef murders than on any other case. Over the last few years, we've extensively covered the case as part of our miniseries, You Never Can Forget. We will be beginning a new season of You Never Can Forget in November, but are now releasing a few preview episodes as part of our coverage of the investigation discovery production, Murders at the Burger Shop. We don't just rely on what we've been told or what we've read. We have worked this case ourselves. We're the murder sheet. And this is You Never Can Forget, Murders at the Burger Shop. Tell us a bit about yourself and and just a bit about how you got started with filmmaking. Yeah, you know, I grew up in Southern California in a small town called Claremont. Um, And uh, pretty much I had a babysitter in the first grade who was about five years older than me. And when he'd come over, we'd take my dad's video camera and we'd make little stop motion films together. Um, And so that was sort of my first little taste in the filmmaking at a super young age. Um, and that babysitter became a skateboarder, and I looked up to him, and so then I wanted to be a skateboarder, and then I started skateboarding and making skateboard movies, and then around at the age of 16, I decided I wanted to make a movie movie, and uh, pretty much since that point forward in my life, I haven't done anything else. I've never really had a quote-unquote normal job, <laughs> um, just been ma- working in the film industry, you know, making telling stories ever since, really. Uh, you're living a lot of people's dreams there. <laughs> trying to, trying to. Um, as glamorous as people think. Right. Yeah. I think we're going to be getting into some of that. Uh, and, and, but first, I guess, you know, uh, tell us a bit about your foray into true crime and, you know, like what sort of different shows have you worked on in that space? Yeah. So, uh, this is sort of my, uh, you know, my first foray into true crime was doing a show called Murder in the Heartland. It's for the ID channel, Investigation Discovery. And I co-executive produced uh, season four of that. Um, and that was a real crash course into true crime. And it was my first time. But, um, you know, learned a lot about police work, learned a lot, of, learned a lot about investigations, um, learned a lot about the process of what happened, you know, especially the emotional things to the families 
uh, friends and the communities that these effects. So Murder in the Heartland was the first show I did. Uh, this show about Burger Chef um, was the second show, and now I'm actually doing season five of Murder in the Heartland right now. So very cool. Um, and how did you um, how did you happen to get assigned on the specific uh, Burger Chef project? You know, it, so this originally was going to be a series, which we'll, we'll say untitled because uh, that name is no longer in existence. Um, and it was going to be a series of six episodes about six different kind of true crime stories. Um, but then they decided to break them up into individual one-hour films, essentially. So I was just assigned by the production company owners to do this episode. And uh, it really wasn't my choice, but I'm really happy I got assigned this episode because this case uh, is really complex, really interesting, and... Uh, you know, it's got a lot of different theories and angles, which I like, loved exploring. Absolutely. We're glad you got assigned to it, too, because we got to meet you and hang out. Um, <laughs> and, exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I guess, you know, in terms of in terms of um, your experience with both Murder in the Heartland and this Burger Chef project, talk us through the process from, from start to finish of, like, basically creating this this television this you know these these stories and and putting them out there it's it's i'm sure much more complicated than a lot of people would anticipate yeah i mean look i mean doing any true crime show is there's a lot of factors a lot of hurdles you have to sort of overcome you know finding a story that you just think is interesting first of all and that wasn't solved in one day you know um or the first 48 hours you know we like things that have ebbs and flows and uh, roadblocks and you know junctures so the first thing is the research aspect of going out going through case files all across the country and, and figuring out what are some murder cases that you know we think are worthy of a, of a television show and you know those factors can include uh, the number of suspects the amount of twists and turns um, one important aspect always is family participation uh, so you kind of always want to get at least one family member involved and having the family support obviously makes a big difference for everyone's sake um, because if the family's not on board, then, you know, kind of why are you doing it? So having the family, law enforcement is always a big thing as well. And then, you know, shedding light on that town, those characters, those people that are involved, you know, is really critical. So trying to find the uniqueness of something and um, you know television is predicated on red herrings right mm -hmm. if people don't know what a red herring is a red herring essentially is, you know um, we think it's the boyfriend but it's the male we think it's this but we think it's that and so um, without some good red herrings and some twists and turns you're not likely to want to do that kind of case so um, a lot of research a lot of outreach um, and that takes a while but once you sort of nail those down, uh, you're in a really good spot. And and I'm curious, you know, in terms of one thing we don't have to worry about being podcasters is, you know, visuals, right? It's just completely audio. Um, that's not true <laughs> with documentaries, obviously. And and as a director, as a filmmaker, how how do you try to kind of, you know, what sort of style do you try to bring to these projects? And sort of what considerations are you thinking about in terms of how to tell this true crime story in a way that it's visually interesting and, and, you know, I guess talk us through that process. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, the visual aspect of this is, is critical because visual storytelling is important. And, you know, you should be able to essentially 
turn off on any good film or documentary, you should be able to turn off the sound and watch it and understand it. You know what I mean? Um, and that's the really sign of a great film or a great documentary. So, you know, for this, for, you know, for this Burger Chef uh, episode we did, um, you know, I really wanted to make every location I interviewed someone in really poignant and have meaning to them, their story and, and the broader story. So picking unique interview locations is, is really important for me, not just doing the generic one of someone sitting on their couch in their house. You know, so trying to find something that helps tell the story visually, even if it's just on a subconscious level. Um, and and then finding those visual elements that help tell your story is always critical because, you know, the first thing with all, you know, documentary television or documentary film is sort of getting that paper edit, right? Just like you guys, like the podcast, just the story written out. But then that visual element is really what's going to elevate it to the next level. So um, finding details um, and accentuating different details, and it doesn't always have to be so tit for tat, too. It can be, you know, trees rustling in the wind as you're talking about an emotional moment, you know. Um, and for this one, I really wanted to uh, push the visual envelope and, you know, by going back to certain locations that are meaningful to the characters, like in Burger Chef, we went back to the old building a lot with everybody. I mean, we made that like a motif for the documentary. So that was critical. Um, and, and making sure, you know, we kind of do something different, you know, visually. I wanted to shoot interviews differently. I wanted to shoot the verite differently and um, kind of find your own voice. And, you know, if you put someone on the right side of the frame, maybe it's a little disconnecting, but maybe you want them to be disconnected, right? So if they're looking the wrong way, maybe you want them to look the wrong way. So kind of making those kind of choices throughout, um, I think, elevated the project, and, you know, um, that's what I focus on. Absolutely. And and I'm curious, you know, this you kind of touched upon this, but like what sort of techniques do you use to get people to like open up on camera and share these kind of oftentimes very difficult or upsetting stories um, mm -hmm. and, and sort of how do you connect with them? Yeah, well, I think the key thing, what I always tell anyone who I'm working with or when they're reaching out to people or they're connecting, you know, I always say don't be transactional, you know, Let's not be so transactional with how we talk to people, how we interact. Obviously, we're here to do a documentary, to do a television show, right? We obviously need people to give us their time, to open up to us, to share their emotions. But on a basic human level, you, you just got to connect with them. If it's the weather, if it's their dog, if it's anything, you have to find something that has nothing to do with the story, nothing to do with the filming. You just have to shoot the shit with them, really. And shooting this shit, I think, is very critical. And letting people tell you what they want to tell you, right? So some people, even when you're interviewing them, they're really focused on one part of the story, let's say, that I'm not super focused on, right? But they are really passionate about that part of the story. So am I going to kibosh them and stop them from talking about that? No, no, I'm going to let them talk about that. I'm going to validate them, make sure I listen really well, hear them, let them get out what they want to say and then slowly I'm going to change it. I'm going to veer back towards what I want to talk about and the other story points I want to talk about. And they're going to be more open to me at that point. So that that's part of the technique. And it's just, uh, you know, knowing people, you know, 
knowing when to push, knowing when to back off. Um, and just, you know, I, I like to be a little self-deprecating, make fun of myself, make sure that they know that they can mess up um, and just try to connect with them, you know, and essentially if you could, you know, befriend them, let them know you're here to tell their story. You're not here to do anything else besides make sure that their voice is heard. Um, people will open up to you. Um, it just takes a little bit of time and patience. And I'd say listening is really the key. You got to validate people. You got to hear what they want to say and make sure to be patient and, and not be so pushy to get what you want right off the bat. Because if you do that, you know, you're, you're going to kind of set yourself in backwards. That, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And, and I'm curious in terms of, uh, you know, technical question, then I have a follow up, you know, how many hours did you guys of footage did you guys end up collecting from just the Burger <laughs> Chef uh, situation? That is a great question. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. So we shot. Hard to say. We we had 15 days of production. Um, you know, two to three cameras rolling on you know those days. So, you know, probably four to five hundred hours of footage, give or take. You know. I'm not exactly sure, but that would be my rough, rough estimate. That is wild. And I guess my the follow-up question is, how the heck do you sort through all of that and create a 45-minute <laughs> to an hour uh, yeah, production? Yeah. Well, I mean, the main thing is transcribing. Uh, so every interview, every time we're, we're talking, you know, on camera, they transcribe that. And it goes into, like, a script. And then when you're in the Avid, which is the editing program uh, we use, um you can type in keywords, you know? So if I'm looking for something that Anya said about Burger Chef, I type in the word Burger Chef, I click on the word, and then it goes to your interview where you said Burger Chef, and that's it. If that's not the right Burger Chef, I go to the next one. So transcripts is really important. Um, I actually print off all my transcripts. I was actually gonna burn them after once the, once the episode airs, because uh, I have a whole binder full of transcripts of all your guys' interviews there. So um, reading, is obviously it is a faster way to go through um, interviews and content. Um, and you're, you know, you kind of know the story you want to tell already. We, we have an outline, we have a treatment that we're going to go for, and that will obviously change as, you know, things are put together, but we kind of try to follow that. So, um, you know, we had a great story producer, a great editor on this, so they help uh, to dig through the footage, and, you know, I help out a little bit as well. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. 
This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's ro.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We were very impressed that you seemed to really grasp the essentials of this case so quickly, and we were just wondering what were your methods for doing that when you first dove into this? Yeah, you know, I think after, you know, having done, we're in the heartland and digested, you know, like six to 12 cases on that, and once I got this one, you know, um, I just read everything I could read about it. So I'll read every news article. Um, you know, this was an open case. So this was tougher because we didn't get the uh, police report. Um, so I read everything. I listened to the Murder Sheet podcast uh, on a drive uh, and I knocked out 10 episodes, which was very helpful. Um, and so that was a helpful way to digest information, talking to the people involved in it. You know, we do pre-interviews with characters, so reading those, taking in information. I think if you could take in information in various forms, like reading, listening, watching, um, that will help. And you kind of, and I just kind of, uh, I, I like load up, I guess what you call it, you know. But Aaron Sorkin, famous writer, says before he writes, he like loads up, which means like you load up on information. So when you go to do the thing, it, it, it's already in you, you know. And so I load up before I go and I just try to process it. And each person I talk to, every time I get a little bit more information, more information, that just kind of goes into into the barrel. And I think just being focused, I think also really helps to like take in information. You know, I wasn't, I had a job to do. I knew I needed to know this case and I have a timeline. So you got three weeks to prep and and you, you just digest as much as you can. And I've just over time gotten better at that process of digesting and retaining that information. Just curious, do you know um, why the studio or ID kind of wanted Burger Chef? Uh, it's, it's kind of unusual. It's a well-known case, but there was has never been, as far as we know, a real documentary or like a, a TV episode that kind of has covered it. So I'm just curious, it, it, had somebody seen something or what sort of prompted them to say now's the time to to do this one well um so the production company i work for ample entertainment well what they do when they pitch this show is the show 
got approved by the ID or Discovery Plus, but now it's, it's going to be on the ID channel and Discovery Plus. And they approved it. And so what they do is they, Ample is the one that finds the cases and it presents those to Discovery. So Discovery wasn't like, hey, let's do Burger Chef. We were the ones like, hey, let's do Burger Chef. Um, and they're like, yes, you can do it. So, and it was just something the owner of our company, uh, Ari Mankin, wanted to do for a while. And he, because, you know, we do a lot of crime shows at Ample. And so he had seen the case before. And I think they just really liked, you know, that nostalgic, you know, thing of like the safe space of, of a old, you know, fast food joint. And like that we all have as Americans, like these memories and these positive things of like when we were teenagers, like going to our local, whatever, McDonald's, Burger Chef, Burger King, you know. And so I think just the innocence of like the location of where these kids were kidnapped and how it all went down, I think really intrigued our owners at our production company. And I think Discovery saw that and, you know, they, they saw the, the benefit to do this uh, series as well. So did actually getting the opportunity to come to Indianapolis and Indiana and visit the Burger Chef and the other sites, did that change your perceptions of any of the aspects of the case? I mean, yes and no. I mean, obviously, like, coming coming to Indianapolis, you know, meeting you guys, meeting, you know, you know Jim Kramer, Alan Stewart, you know, Teresa Jeffries, Brian Crane, Kirk Thompson, everyone that's in the show, uh, you know, changed my perceptions of it. And, you know, you, once you put a human face to it, it becomes a, a lot more real um, and a lot more intense. But I guess as far as, like, you know, dissecting information and kind of trying to be that person who comes into something clean, you know, with, with clean eyes and, uh, you know, and not sort of tainted with years of thought into this already. I, I sort of felt, you know, kind of who... We, we we thought it was or you know who it looked like it was the, was the best out of the six options that didn't change for me going there i i kind of it kind of reinforced that it was that it was one of those um theories i guess you could call it but obviously going to a place and seeing it and meeting the people around it will just make it come to life for you a bit more it didn't necessarily change my thoughts on how the case unraveled if, if you know what i mean I'm curious, you know, did you, are you willing to share with us any, any dramatic or the most dramatic thing that happened uh, during the filming process? <laughs> most dramatic thing that happened during the filming process. I have one thing in mind, actually, but if you don't <laughs> want to talk about it, that's okay. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think. Oh my gosh, most dramatic thing that happened. Oh, yeah, Alan Fruit's dog biting me. Uh, that was probably not dramatic. <laughs> uh, he had a pit bull that decided to bite my uh, thigh three times and draw true blood and um, had to go to the uh, urgent care. So that was kind of dramatic. Um. <laughs> I remember uh, uh, Tina, who is one of the crew members, uh, who's great. And, and yeah, the mess- producer. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. And she message us uh you know i don't think we're going to be able to do the shooting tomorrow and we we're like okay no worries and then it was like because jeremy's in the hospital <laughs> he got attacked by alan pruitt's dog and we were like oh my god so we felt very bad after that but we were glad that you were okay yeah well unfortunately i don't think the scar on my left thigh is ever going to leave me. 
think I'm always gonna have this one little bite of Alan Pruitt on my leg forever. So it's gonna be hard to forget the Burger Chef episode. I'm pretty sure because <laughs> now I have a visual reminder on my leg that I don't think is at the point of way. You could so, say that Burger uh, Chef literally scarred you for life. Yes, exactly, exactly, literally and physically. Yeah, that was probably that was probably the worst thing, but it wasn't too bad and. Yeah, you know, every shoot is always, you know, we always say this, it's always Murphy's Law. What can go wrong will go wrong, you know, and that's how every shoot is, and you always have to sort of approach it like that to a degree. But, no, I think um, nothing too crazy. I'd say that was probably the top crazy, so. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I'm curious. One thing we were really impressed with was that uh, you were able to get the Indiana State Police, which is, of course, the uh, lead investigating agency on the case, to actually participate. I, I, I'm just curious, you know, obviously it's it's important to have the law enforcement perspective and how did you guys go about doing that and making, you know, it, it clear that this was an opportunity that they, you know, should participate in? Yeah, well, I think whenever you're dealing with a state police agency and I think, look, with, with the current times with Black Lives Matter and the just general societal you know, um, feeling towards law enforcement. You know, I think a lot of law enforcement agencies are either a lot more hesitant to get involved in, you know, in a documentary like this for discovery, or they want to, or they really want to do it because they want to kind of try to change the narrative and they want to show like, hey, we're not like what is being portrayed about us right now. So you kind of get either like a real push pull nowadays, I think with law enforcement. I think, A, they wanted to, you know, kind of say, like, hey, we're still on this case. It's not a cold case. I think that was part of their thing to be a part of it. And, you know, we did interview Bill Dalton, the, the current lead investigator on the Burger Chef um, investigation. And, you know, we were able to shoot the original clay bust that they used uh, for the first two eyewitnesses that they created back in um, the 70s. But, yeah, I think... You know, it, it's a tightrope. You know, they, they kind of are a little bit more stricter. They, they're they more tight-lipped. You know, they're not going to really divulge too much, and they're going to kind of cite that it's a cold case, right? So when you're, when you're trying to get information out of law enforcement and technically it's still an open case, uh, it's just a different situation. So, you know, we're happy that, you know, we had their involvement in it, but it, it was kind of more of we just wanted to you know um yeah we just wanted to be connected to them and you know they were helpful in some ways um but like i said when it's when it's one of these open cases you kind of have a different experience of law enforcement uh, for you you know as you were researching the case initially and then as you started sort of reporting it out doing all these interviews you know putting everything together for you what was the biggest surprise about the actual story of the case was there any twist or turn that really had you sort of scratching your head at any point? I mean, I guess a lot is pretty surprising about it, you know. I just, I, I guess the amount of people that confessed to the murder is, is pretty surprising, you know. And just the amount of theories that were formed as well, you know, and just, and just the different avenues. You know, when I first started reading about this, I was like, oh, it's got to be the robbery gang. It's got to be the robbery gang. <laughs> And then uh, the more I looked into it, I realized there really really wasn't a lot of meat to chew on that bone. The robbery gang theory is one that has gotten quite a bit of attention over the years. Basically, at the time of the murders, there was a small gang of men robbing fast food restaurants in the area. 
The theory suggests they were robbing the Speedway Burger Chef and something unexpected happened, which led to the murders. Perhaps the most prominent modern proponent of that theory is Todd McComas, who runs the podcast 1041. We had him on to explain why he favors this theory in our episode, You Never Can Forget, The Robbers, and we really appreciated his insights. We discussed some of what we consider to be problems with the theory in our episodes, You Never Can Forget, The Robberies, and You Never Can Forget, The Gang. But I still think the initial thing of four kids being kidnapped, taken 22 miles south, killed in three different manners of death, those, that, those factors alone make it very unique already. Just the fact that they're transported probably by two cars, probably by two to three people at least, and just the way in which they, you know, it's, it's rare to see three causes of death at a, at a crime scene like that. So, and just the case never seemed to die, even though when it was dead, because then it would just come back to life and a new eyewitness or a new, someone would, I met somebody else would confess or, you know, so I think it's just, it's got so many different avenues, but the good thing about when you're making a 45 minute, you know, television show, you really have to focus in. You can't throw down 10 different rabbit holes. You, you kind of have to tell the, the nuts and bolts of it and then go with the storyline that you think has got the most evidence, the most credentials, uh, and let, let the audience, you know, make the, make the decision for themselves. Do you personally have a theory about uh, what happened? <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I, 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 my theory or the, the thing that after looking at all the, the things, I, I still have to say that Alan Pruitt's eyewitness account is the most credible thing there is in this whole case because I, I don't care if you like him or if you think he's crazy or if you're drunk, you know, people don't hallucinate when they're drunk. Uh, people don't, you know, he saw what he saw. Alan Pruitt is arguably the most important witness in the Burger Chef case. We know from multiple sources that he was definitely standing in the parking lot at the time the four victims were kidnapped. He was in a position, in other words, to see exactly what happened. We've spent hours interviewing him, and we reported on his story in You Never Can Forget the Creek and You Never Can Forget the Backbone. Alan Pruitt passed away over the summer, but earlier this year, he gave his last ever interview to Jeremy and his crew. You will be able to see Alan tell his story one last time in Murders at the Burger Shop. At times, Alan Pruitt said he saw everything. He saw them being kidnapped and taken away, and you know he was able to identify a couple of those people because he went to high school with them. The people Alan Pruitt said he saw that night kidnapping the four victims were Tim Willoughby and Jeff Reed. And I just feel like the theory of the Tim Willoughby-Jeff Reed theory seems to be the strongest. And for the fact that Tim Willoughby was spotted from your guys' research in 1980 um, in that magazine, so that's two years after, um, we know, obviously... His family, you know, says there's no way he would have, you know, disappeared for this long. But I just find that, you know, you can't ignore the only one credible eyewitness you have to this whole case. And that that theory seems to be the strongest to me. The other one, 
The only reason I would give it credentials is because sometimes it's always the simplest answer is the one that's right in front of you. And the one about the guy who tossed out the gun, uh, that was only like two blocks away. Um, that was the 38 that they recovered. I just find that to be too oddly coincidental, whether that person was a lookout or someone else. The person Jeremy is referring to here is an individual we call Terry. Terry was driving erratically very close to the Speedway Burger Chef at about the time of the kidnappings. A police car spotted him and pulled him over. As this happened, Terry actually threw a loaded 38 caliber gun out his car window. Incredibly, the police officer never noticed. After literally years of effort, Anya and I succeeded in tracking down Terry last year. We interviewed him about that night on our episode, You Never Can Forget, The Driver. Because in Alan Crow's original audio interrogation, uh, one of the things he says in there is he says there's a lot more people involved in this, not in the actual killing, but a lot more people involved in what was happening. So I just, I feel like it's bigger than what we know. That That's my feeling, you know. Alan probably saw two people kidnap these kids, but I don't think it was only two people that did this. Absolutely, yeah. The logistics to pull this off seem like they would take more people. And I know from our own research, it's really super rare, as you mentioned, to find a mass abduction, mass homicide out of a place of business. I. I can think off the top of my head of three other cases, but only one looks similar. The other two uh, have some different hallmarks about them. And I guess our, our final question for you, though, is um, do you think having dug into this and having you know produced a, an, an episode for Investigation Discovery on it, do you have hope that this case will get solved eventually? I mean, look, you never know, right? We're this case, there's been podcasts, you know, there's been articles. But I think to see Tim Willoughby, to see Jeff Reed, to see, you know, some of these characters, to see, you know, Donald Forrester, all these people on screen, you know, hopefully can have an effect. You know, I think it's every documentarian's dream, right, to have their documentary have a real-world effect, you know. Um, and that, that would obviously be incredible, but I'm not holding my breath for that. But um, I think, look, for this case to be solved, it, Either the person's dead or or they're not, you know, and that, that's the problem with a 43-year-old case, you know, it's just so old. Um, I think, you know, the Indiana State Police, them not testing the DNA on what they have or what they do or don't have because, you know, they wouldn't divulge, you know, to me what they have or don't have, but I would just implore them just, you know, I understand how DNA testing works, right? If you test it for fingerprints, you can't test it for, you know, another thing, and then it destroys the evidence. But we're at 43 years now. we got to just try it, you know, see what sticks. So this case won't get solved from an eyewitness report. It's not going to get solved from someone saying, you did it, right? It's just, we've already had a lot of those, and those don't create a conviction. So I think either some, some new evidence has to come forward or the case won't be solved, and I'd say... At this point, it's looking pretty grim that this case will be solved by, you know. I mean, I would hope it would be, um, and I would hope this documentary, um, someone sees it somewhere and they remember the orange van or, you know what I mean, or they were, they met someone who kind of looks like Tim Willoughby. And, you know, you never know with that kind of stuff. So um, that would be my hope, you know. Um, 
just for these families and these people affected to get some peace. But if, if anything, I hope the documentary gives them some peace and make sure that, you know, they felt heard and their story is told and that, you know, either way, we're not going to forget about Jane, Mark, Danny, and Ruth. And that's, that's really well said. Listen, Jeremy, we really appreciate all the hard work you did on this documentary and, and, you know, including us in it. We're really excited to see it. Yeah, we're really excited to see it. Murders at the Burger Shop. So it's airing on September 5th, 10 p.m. on Investigation Discovery, the ID channel. And it's a one-hour special. So um, we're very excited about it. And I thank you guys for all your help um, and being a part of it and um, helping research and just providing information also for your podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. And, and anything that we can uh, plug for you, you're an award-winning documentarian now. You're winning awards while you were here filming the Burger <laughs> Chef thing. So feel free to show any of the, throw any of that out there. Uh, yeah, I have a feature documentary that's in the Film Festival of Circuit. Uh, it's called Failure to Protect. Um, it's about three parents who lost their kids to Child Protective Services and who are trying to get their kids back. Um, it's a you know kind of expose on the child welfare system and um, some of the flaws and injustices that happen within that system, um, especially uh, when it comes to parents and families. So that has been just that just one best U.S. documentary film at the Doc uh, Boston Film Festival, and it's going to play actually at the Lonely Feet Film Festival in in Boston as well on October fifth to the tenth. So. Stay tuned for that, and hopefully um, it will be available on iTunes and other streaming platforms later this year. Awesome. Yeah, Kevin and I watched it, and it was really harrowing and really well done, like a very important expose about a topic that I think people, if they don't have to deal with it, don't necessarily know a lot about. Yeah, exactly. It's really meant to kind of open your eyes, you know, intellectually and emotionally, and I really wanted to arm audiences with you know the information with the facts and let them sort of come to their own conclusions about it but it was really important for me to tell it through uh the the perspective of the parents because in my eyes the parents their voice really gets lost within this system so yeah it's something i'm really proud of and hope uh, it finds a a permanent home soon so when is the documentary uh so when is the documentary going to air so the Burger Chef documentary is going to air on Labor Day, Monday, September 5th at 10 p.m. on the ID channel, which is on basic cable. It's Investigation Discovery. And it's right after People's Magazine Investigates. And I believe it's going to be called Murders at the Burger Shop. It was originally titled The Burger Chef Murders, but I think we've changed the title now to Murders at the Burger Shop. Shop. Uh, but don't quote me, but uh, September 5th at 10 p.m. on ID channel. Awesome. That's great. And yeah, everyone should tune in. It's going to be very interesting and well done. We want to thank Jeremy for taking the time to speak with us today. We'd also like to shout out crew members Tina, Evan, Mike, and Amanda. We would definitely recommend that everyone keep an eye out for Jeremy's documentary, Failure to Protect. And of course, don't forget to watch Murders at the Burger Shop at 10 p.m. September 5th on the Investigation Discovery Channel. To our surprise, we've gotten a number of requests from people saying they would like a way to help financially support our efforts with the show. So, if you are interested, we are relaunching a Patreon page 
which you can find at www.patreon.com slash murdersheet. Join us there for two live video question and answer sessions each month. You can ask us anything, suggest new cases for us to look at, or even offer ideas for new leads for us to follow. If Patreon is not your thing, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murdersheet. Thanks for the interest. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on The Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet, and on Facebook at mSheetPodcast, or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to The Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure. And send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.